Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is true. Many of us have come to know that in our lives, how true your word and your promises are. Some of us, we don't know that. God, this is strange and this is different. But I pray today, God, as we speak, as we learn from your word, that you would open our hearts to receive what you would want to say. God, I pray that no one here would simply hear my words and what I think, because that really doesn't produce anything and isn't that helpful. But I pray that your Holy Spirit right now, for every person that's in this room and every person that's watching online, would open our hearts, would open our ears to be able to hear from you and to receive from you whatever you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's just walk through a little bit of what uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 to 12 has to teach us. A little bit of background, just to remind us and refresh us from last week's message. In chapter 1, Paul is writing to exiled Christians. That's what's going on here in, in 1 Peter. That's the, the target audience, that, uh, or sorry, not Paul, Peter, is writing to. And, and these people are facing immense persecution. Not, I, not someone mixed up my Starbucks order. These people were facing loss of income. They're facing a physical harm and potentially death. Peter reiterates that persecution and joy are to be experienced coincidingly at the same time in this life because this world is not our real home. Heaven is. Think about that. This world is not our real home. Heaven is. We have to grasp that. God has provided new life, and we are now true citizens of heaven. But in this life, we still need to live in the realities of this world that is not yet as it should be. If you are a Christian living in exile, meaning not living in your actual home, you need to live in the realities of this world. There is a way that you should live. God asks us to be, a key word, holy. This word holy means separate or different than the world around us because God is holy and we are to be like him. Uh, to, to make it a parallel, if I stood up here today and I wore a robe and a turban, you go, what's going on with that guy? Because culturally, that's not appropriate, that, or not, not appropriate, that's not fitting for the culture that I'm in. It's not that there's anything wrong with that dress, but it wouldn't make sense. Or if after, after the service this morning, I came and shook your hand, gentlemen, and then kissed you on both cheeks, would you be weirded out? Because I sure would. Because that's not culturally normal, but in other parts of the world it is. We have to recognize that there are things about us that are going to be different. Because our home is now different. Our true home is in heaven. And so, Peter is saying with that, we should be different. We should live different. So let's jump into chapter 2, and it starts, we're going to go verse by verse through this. So, in verse 1, it says, so, or depending on your translation, I'm going to be doing the New Living Translation, but if you're in the NIV, it will say, therefore. The old, if there's a therefore, you find out what it's there for. Therefore, because, as we've learned in, in, in chapter 1, God has chose you and paid the ransom for your souls, he paid the penalty for your sin with the life of Jesus on the cross and called you to holy living. You are to be like him. You are to be holy. So get rid, rid yourself, empty yourself of evil behavior, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. 
I think oftentimes when we think of holiness, this is the right away what comes to mind. If I'm supposed to be holy, if I'm supposed to be more like God, we think of the stuff we need to remove. And that's good because that is a big part of holiness. We need to get rid of the things that are anti to the, the character and the being of God. So therefore, because he's called us, because he's paid us, we need to get rid of those things. But there's another part of holiness. It's not just what we remove, but we see in verse two, like newborn babes, you must then crave or add a craving for pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. To be holy, we don't just remove from us, but then we also need to add. We need to add a hunger for the spiritual milk in our lives. What does this mean? It means the very life, presence, and most importantly, the word of God that you have in front of you in your Bible. Religious practice and showmanship will not feed your spirit. It will not help you grow. I know everybody has different reactions when it comes to to Halloween celebrations that happened in October. When, When I was a kid, we used to always be allowed to go around and get candy. And I had a giant gym duffel bag full of candy, I remember one time. And we went, me and my brother went with my dad to a BC Lions football game, which meant me and four other people from Vancouver went to a BC Lions football game, because there's no fans there. But it was a Rough Riders game, so there was 30,000 fans there, because all the Saskatchewan people came. And we ate the entire time. I had probably five pounds of candy. And I ate three pounds of candy during that game. It was just nonstop candy eating. If you let your kid eat candy all the time, they will be consuming something. But parents, will they actually get the nutrition that they need to properly grow? I think sometimes in our Christian lives, we fill ourselves with stuff but are we actually filling ourselves with the things we need to grow? We're supposed to crave pure spiritual milk. God's word. Matthew 4.4, Jesus said this. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Church, can I ask you today, what are you feeding yourself? Because if you're feeding yourself properly, here's the natural thing that will happen. You will grow. Teenagers, you probably had the recent awkward experience of maybe doing back-to-school shopping or with online shopping, maybe you don't have to live through that anymore. But there's nothing more awkward than being a junior high boy and going back-to-school shopping with your mom. There's a lot of adjusting of pants, awkward words being said. It's horrible. I hated it. But my mom always bought clothes that were, of course, for back-to-school larger than what I needed. Why? Because the expectation was I was going to grow. Church, we should have the expectation that we are going to grow. If you are feeding yourself properly, if you are feeding on the words of God, you should be growing in your life. And that's why he says we should grow into the full experience of salvation. If If you're not familiar with that word, if church is new to you, salvation talks about how we are freed of our sin. God gives us eternal life with him, that we are the the curse of sin over our lives. It no longer has possession over us and we become God's children. We are freed with him. That happens instantaneously and fully. There's nothing you need to do. It's a gracious gift of God. But we also see there's a theological term called sanctification. And it talks about how we grow into the fullness of that experience of what God has made us and called us, that we become more and more like him. That is the full experience of salvation, becoming more like Jesus, not becoming more like any other person, but him. 
So it goes on in verse 2 to say, because of this, we should cry out for this nourishment. Because we want to grow. We see that. Why do we want to cry out for nourishment? Why do we want to become more like Jesus? Verse 3, now that you have seen how God punishes people, had someone on the street corner tell you how you're going to go to hell. No. Now that you have personally tasted of the Lord's kindness. Romans 2 verse 4 tells us that it's the kindness of God that it is intended to lead us to repentance. It's not God's judgment, but his kindness that leads us to repentance, that leads us to change. Change, true character change, is not attained simply through our willpower, but true change is sparked by the grace of God and empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit as we allow God's presence and work in our lives regularly. That's what brings change. Verse four, we're just gonna again go verse by verse here. So with that, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Just a bit of history lesson. In the Old Testament, for those of you, again, the Bible is new to you. In the Old Testament era, the temple was the place people went to worship. It was where God's people would come to meet with him. God's presence on earth was found in the temple. In the days of Jesus and Peter, the temple in Jerusalem was the most holy and precious place for Hebrews. It was revered and honored as holy. There was the presence of God that was there, but there was also so much pride that was in the Israelites because of the actual building of the temple. You can still see part of it in in the Western Wall that's found in Jerusalem today. Now, the stones that were used are mind-boggling. The size of the stones that they would use. The largest stone at the moment that they found in the Western Wall is 44 feet long. 44 feet long. Now, I remind you, they don't use cement. Everything was done by dry construction at this point. 44 feet long and weighed 570 tons. In comparison, the largest stone of the Great Pyramid weighs about 11 tons. The original height of the wall was about 60 meters or 200 feet tall. We see in the New Testament that when Jesus gave up his life to pay for the the penalty of sin, that one of the symbolic things that God did is there was a giant veil that was like a couple feet in thickness that was torn right in half. That veil separated in the temple the place that was called the Holy of Holies, that's where the very presence of God was. People couldn't actually go into that room except for the high priest once a year. That was broken in two and it was symbolic for the fact that God no longer simply had his presence on earth in a physical temple, but instead his presence now lived in the people who received his son. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. In this passage in 1 Corinthians where it says you, don't you know that you yourselves, 
This word you, the pronoun is not singular, it's plural. It's referring to the church, not just an individual. Paul is saying that you together as the church are God's temple. See, regularly we talk in church about how how God comes to live inside of us when we confess, believe, and commit to follow Jesus. And that is 100% true. Perhaps today is going to be an opportunity for someone who hasn't made that decision. Following Jesus is a personal decision, but church, it is a corporate action. It's not an individual lifestyle. It is a corporate action. We are joined together, living stones. Together we house the presence of God. John Wesley was once quoted, the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. Following Jesus is not a a solo act. You are not made to do this in isolation. This following God, this living the life of a Christ follower is not an isolated life. But God has made you to be connected in his body, the church. It's why we emphasize small groups so much. That's not the be all end all. It's not about being in a building. It's not about being at a specific church. It's about being connected to God's church because life is not meant to be done in isolation. It's like if you've ever played a team sport and you get a guy who's a hot dog on your team and in practice can do all these moves but has no idea how to work with teammates. You are called not to be a solo act. You're called to be a teammate. A chronic condition of our day is loneliness. And I wonder how many of us struggle with this. We are surrounded by people, but people have never reported more commonly feeling disconnected and alone. Our culture pushes a very individualistic mindset. You should get what you deserve. It's about what's best for you. You just go by your truth. Hey, whatever you want, you get. We are to be one. Oftentimes our secular individual culture can seep its way into the church. This is not the worldview Jesus nor his disciples had. We are spiritually built together. We celebrate together. We mourn together. We worship together. We rejoice together. We serve together. When stone buildings are built, stones are not specifically, are, are, sorry, are not just chose, uh, selected by chance. They are specifically shaped and chosen. So too, in the living temple of God, the church. Can I say this this morning? Whether you are in person or you are watching online, you are not here by accident. You are specifically, uniquely chosen by God and fitted together with his church. Not just thrown together. You are made to support and to be supported. You are made to strengthen and to be strengthened. Verse six, as we move forward, as the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, speaking of Jesus. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. What does that mean? 
I know we have a few people that do cheer stuff. Copan family, I know you have a couple daughters that are in cheer. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you do anything. But, okay, Trish, if I was to, uh, if your daughter's friends were all here and I would say, can you get those seven girls or six girls, I can't count, my goodness, six girls to make a human pyramid, what would you say? Could they do that? Okay, now, you need to be honest. Now, if I said, I took one of the girls away and I said, Jason is now part of the team and I need Jason and those six girls to build a human pyramid, could they do it? Yeah, okay, now, one more question. If I said, Jason and those five other girls to make a human pyramid and Jason needs to be the one on top, can they do it? Yes. <laughs> we need a really big base. Okay. Because, because what? <laughs> because obviously when you make, if you've seen a human pyramid, you don't put the smallest person on the bottom. You put the strongest on the bottom, right? When we talk about a cornerstone, you, you want a good foundation, right? As a kid growing up, whenever I heard these verses, that's what I thought. Okay, Christ is the foundation. He's what takes the strength. And that's, that's true. We rely on Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us foundation, gives us strength in our lives. That's important. It takes the weight and it gives us support. But the cornerstone was more than that. It was the key reference point for everything that would come afterwards. It was important to have a cornerstone laid correctly because the cornerstone was the lens through which everything else was measured. All directions and dimensions were determined by the cornerstone. Jesus is to be the cornerstone of our lives, the lens of our lives, the reference point to measure all other things. He is not simply the one we're supposed to lean on when we get upset or when things go bad. And maybe you're like me, how I've been some points of my life, where Jesus is just the guy I go to where, God, I need you to fix this. God, this went bad. God, I'm disappointed. God, I'm upset. Jesus isn't simply supposed to be the one you lean on. He is the lens through which you're supposed to see the entirety of your life. He is the cornerstone. I think one of the great disruptors in our world is the anxiety that comes from confusion, a confusion that stems from multiple points of reference we lean on to find truth. The opinions of others, our emotions, our need to be loved, the competing and often contradicting philosophies of how and what life is. Even in the church, we see evidence of this anxiety and confusion. We see human pastors, teachers, leaders, celebrities, and influencers elevated and followed blindly. The Apostle Peter makes it clear. In the church, there is a cornerstone. One we are all to look for as our reference for what is real. What is truth? What is my purpose? Who am I? A cornerstone. Verse 8, and he, Jesus, is the stone that makes people stumble. Okay, didn't see that coming. The rock that makes them fall. Wait a second, isn't Jesus supposed to be good? Shouldn't Jesus be the one that just makes them feel elevated, feel good? He's the one that makes them stumble and fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. The message of Jesus is good news. It's good news for those who receive it. 
However, it is a stumbling block for those who don't. Why do so many in our world hate Christians and Christianity? Why is it Jesus' name that's used as a curse word? Because while the gospel is good news for those who receive it, if you choose not to, the gospel shows our own true weakness and failure. It destroys the mirage of our own immorality. It presents the doom and destruction that is present for those of us who refuse to accept God's gift of grace. This past year, I turned 40 years old. Please, I know I look like I'm 20. I turned 40 years old this past year. Here's one of the things I've learned. A mirror is great for being able to see things how they are. But sometimes, for those of you who are 40 or older, I don't always feel 40. I feel 40 after I play Thursday night hockey and then wake up the next morning, which by the way, Thursday night hockey guys, this week, seven o'clock here at the church, come join. But the next morning I feel 40, but most days I don't. But sometimes I look in the mirror, I feel like I'm 18 inside sometimes, but then I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm not anymore. Because the mirror doesn't lie to me. Now if I just avoid the mirror, does that change me? No, it just means I'm not listening to the truth. The gospel is good news, but some of us don't want to hear it. We want to ignore what the mirror has to actually show us. And if we look in the mirror, the mirror shows us the way things actually are. To tell someone that Jesus offers freedom from your sin, a weight of eternal punishment in hell, and instead an eternity in paradise, is offensive to those who don't want to receive that. Why? Because it's also telling them their fate if they don't receive that gift. And that is offensive. Again, the gospel is offensive. Church, I've said this in the past couple of years a couple of times. The gospel is offensive, but it doesn't mean that we're allowed to be. But the gospel is because the gospel is a mirror that shows us what is. Verse 9. But you are not like that. For you are, church, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Church, this is who you are. You are royal priests. No, you do not wear robes, but you are royal priests. See, in the Old Testament, priests were the ones who would come and access the presence of God. If you were a normal, commoner person, no matter if you had a, a, belief, a faith in God, you couldn't go and actually go into the presence of God. Only the high priest could. The priests were the ones who were mediators between the people and God. But as I spoke about earlier, when Jesus gave up his life, the veil in the temple was torn, symbolically showing that no longer was there a mediator. Jesus became the mediator. No other human person, so that all of us are now priests. We all have direct access to the presence of God. You are priests. You can go home. That might be shocking for some of you to tell your spouse, I found out I'm a priest today. You have direct access to God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. Not a happy nation, a holy nation. I don't mean that you're a depressed nation either. But you are a holy nation, a set-apart nation. Again, called to be a part of something beyond yourself. 
The promises that were made to Israel in the Old Testament that God spoke, you are now part of that nation because it is a spiritual nation, a people of God called by him. Your call, our call, stems out of this truth to show the goodness of God to the world. Not to judge, to shame, to humiliate, to lord over, to feel superior to. No. To show the goodness of God to the world around us. Thirdly, you are a chosen people. God's very own possession called to show others God's goodness. In preparing for this week's message for a couple weeks now, I've had this verse on my heart. And if you have your Bible, just keep your thumb where we are. But in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, book of Isaiah in chapter 43, because I really do believe that there are people who are listening to this and you need to hear these words. Again, these words were spoken to Israel in the Old Testament, but you are the spiritual Israel. You are God's people. And some of you need to hear this. But now, O Jacob, Listen to the Lord who created you. Verse 1 and 2 of Isaiah 43. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have paid the penalty for you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are called by name. You aren't simply randomly put together, but you are chosen and called by God by name. You are his. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Our God works specifically. He is calculated. He works with purpose and intent, not randomly or by coincidence. The question of your worth, the question of your identity, and the question of your purpose are wrapped up in this. You are chosen. You are called by name. You are his. Peter in verse 10. Someone needs to hear that. I'm sorry. Someone needs to hear that today. Because you've been listening to lies of who you are and you feel so lost. You are his and you are chosen. God wants you to hear that. He wants you to know that and he wants you to experience that today. Like a father or a mother over their children, he wants you to feel his arms around you. Verse 10, 1 Peter 2. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Church, who are you? What gives you worth? It is not your job. It is not your bank account. It is not your popularity, your intelligence, your political opinions, 
your ideological beliefs or systems, your ability to have influence, your power, your friends, or your possessions. None of those actually define who you are. What gives you worth? What gives you your identity? You are chosen by name, called by the God of this universe who formed you and created you. You are his, chosen, and get this, desired by God. Not some being that he goes, ah, that was a bit of a mistake. No, where you are right now, knowing everything in your life, desired by God. Folks, this changes how we live. Because if I make mistakes, but I know I'm chosen, I'm not afraid of God. I'm able to come, as as Paul says in the New Testament, boldly to the seat of mercy to find forgiveness and mercy that isn't in question, but I know is already available. I don't walk afraid of God hammering me over the head, but instead I boldly go because I know he is with me, he has chosen me, he loves me, he desires me, and he's called me. This world is not our home. Paul ends this portion by saying, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God as he judges the world. This world is not your home. So don't act like it. Recognize that this is not really your home. Live not out of who you have been, but who you've been called to be. It is not a sermon or shouting from the street corner that is going to change the way you share Christ more effectively. It is the way you live, holy, separate, more and more like Christ which you can't do on your own, but we regularly have to open ourselves and ask for the empowerment of God's spirit to help us live day by day, be connected with him, to become more like him, become more into the fullness of the salvation we've been gifted. Church, don't get caught in the rat race. Don't get caught living in isolation as if your faith is something to privately live out in your closet. That's not how it works. Be connected chiefly to the cornerstone. Christ as the reference point of your life to measure all things through. You need to know that you are chosen. I wonder if this morning, if there is some that are here that you have yet to actually know that. Maybe for someone, this is even your first time being in a church and way to go to step out and do something that was probably different and scary. Maybe you're watching online, you're going, it's a little too scary to actually go to that building. Way to go. But listen, there's more than just simply listening and going, that sounds nice. You need to actually personally know God. You need more than simply to hear a pastor talk or another person talk about their relationship with God. You need to come to know him yourself. And what he's dying most for in your life is to actually come to know you and you to know him. He's been waiting for you.
because you chose it. This morning is maybe an opportunity for you to make that most important decision. The Bible gives us clear instructions. That's very simple. That key change in our life, the ability to receive the gift that God paid for, that he ransomed for, freedom from your sin. Sin meaning the things that take us away from God and right relationship with him is to confess that you believe. Believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for your sin, to ask for his forgiveness, and to commit to begin to follow him with all your life, to him to be the cornerstone through which you see everything else in your life. So I'm going to ask, as we close together, that's you, I want to pray. I'm going to share a prayer that you could pray for yourself to make that decision. And then for all of us, I want to pray again today for us to renew a fresh commitment to not make Christ simply our foundation that we lean on, but to make Christ our cornerstone through which we base all of our life. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word, for the promises that we find in scripture. Most importantly, for the truth, for the life, for the love, for the reality of your presence that comes to live in us and change us and daily walk with us. If you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision, you've never had that point where you've personally come to know God. You want to receive the gift that Jesus gave with his life. You could just say a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. You've chosen me. It's hard, but I believe it. I know I haven't done everything right. And I've made mistakes. Please forgive my sin against you and others. Wash me clean. Come to live in me. Help me to know you and every day become more like you. Help me to hear your voice. May I just feel you right now. May my life be to honor and live for you. In Jesus' name. For all of us, God, I just pray, solidify in us. God, thank you for your church that we are called to be a part of. Forgive us where maybe we've dumbed down and we've stripped Christianity so much that we don't even get what it is. God, that you have called us to be a part of your church. This isn't something that we privately hold as beliefs, but as God, it's something we live out. Help us today Again, may you be our cornerstone. Forgive us where we have simply made you maybe a foundation in our lives, but we have not made you our cornerstone. Help us to see you in everything we do. Give us the parameters and the guidance for how to live this life. Help us to be holy priests, a holy nation. For those of us who need to be reminded today, God, 
I just pray by your Holy Spirit, remind them afresh that they are chosen by name, called by you, desired by you. Fill us with your love and your passion for this world, I pray. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. Amen.